pretty big shows while well, I need to guess. So the first one we got, Bride and Prejudice, not Pride, but Bride. Um, it's not the program that's on TV, it's basically the Bollywood version of Pride and Prejudice, interesting choice. Um, the next one I got was a story called The Fugitive. You may know this one, it's about a guy who was wrongly in prison for murder and the story how he proves his innocence. The next one, um, we actually had four people chose this lot.
And I think it's fair to say his own family wasn't in a rapid straightforward. Um, one of his sons tried a, um, to take over him, his kingdom. Another son raped a sister and their dog put another murder. So it's a really complicated family. So humble beginnings and a really complicated story. But, and here's the spoiler alert, David was, turn, he turned out to be God's chosen king for the nation of Israel. In Bible times, he's really seen as a really big, significant king, probably other than his son Solomon, who was probably the most successful king in those times. So his story of David really towers over the kingdom of Israel in Jewish history. Also, if you look at his family line, you can follow it all the way from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, and you can follow it right up to Jesus, basically. His family line has got um, the birth of Jesus in it, the family line of David, who ended up being a virgin and crossing stones. There's also a worship leader who wrote a lot of songs that we read, and later on he's described as a man after God's own heart. So, you look at his life, and it sort of reads a bit like a Hollywood blockbuster, doesn't it? You know, the ups and the downs and everything. He had some really difficult stuff done to him that was out of his control, but he also made some really bad choices too, adultery and murder. So just to unpack that little story about um, adultery, one night he was a king and he was out on his roof and he spotted a lady called Bathsheba bathing on the roof and she was a bit of a fancy to him basically. Invited her over and slept with her. But she was married to one of his soldiers, a chap called Uriah. As a result of the affair, Bathsheba fell pregnant. So David didn't know enough. He thought he could try and cover it up. So he invited her husband, Uriah, back from the, from the battlefield, hoping that he'd go home and sleep with his wife. But he refused to because he said, my soldiers are out on the field, so I'm going to sleep on the doorstep, basically. So David was a bit stuck. So what he did when he sent Uriah back to the battlefield, he made sure that Uriah was right out the front where the fighting was worse, and then he would join the foot troops around him. So basically Uriah was killed. So it may not be murder by his own hand because he was standing on a significant amount of responsibility if he wasn't murdered by God. So maybe we've got a broken relationship or a marriage in our heart where trust is gone. How do you get past that difficulty so that that difficulty doesn't define your future relationship? Maybe your upbringing means that you've always felt unloved or you're not worth a great deal. If you're really honest, you know it holds you back. Hold you back from going to that job or taking on a bigger position. She just don't think you can do it. Or maybe there are things that you've experienced in your past, and when you're reminded of it, it's really painful. You just can't cope. So you have a drink or two. Or maybe you, you just come to the conclusion to do that. We can turn to a lot of different things, can't we, to numb the really difficult stuff in our lives. But sadly, underlying issue doesn't go away. But you really want it to. The question is how can you find healing and freedom? so that your future is not defined by your past. Um, I met a couple at the door this morning that I got, well, got into chatting to, a lovely couple, and so I said, and in the last year, they both got stronger parents, two of their children have gone through the war, and have recently experienced a burglary. That's a pretty tough year, isn't it? But you know what? They're here this morning, they're walking through the door, saying hello and smiling, and they're here, and they're worshipping. It's not amazing how, after all that, those ups and downs, they're still here worshipping. So how do we all get to that point of saying, actually, that stuff is not going to define who I am or where I want to be? And I think if we're honest, we've all got some difficult stuff in our past, haven't we? And maybe it's in our present. Maybe we're dealing with a really tough situation. So the question is, what are we going to do with it? 
and how are we going to make sure that we actually have that choice? So I want to look at how David dealt with this really difficult situation of adultery and murder today and see what we can learn from this. So we're going to look at Psalm 51. It's about halfway through the Bible, so in the thickness of it, on the easy index, that's why. Um, and so David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and he wrote this particular one after his adultery with Bathsheba and the subsequent um, murder of Uriah. So he had owned up to it at this point. A guy called, a prophet called Nathan came and pinned him basically up there, called him out on his sin, and he owned up to it. And this is what he wrote. And as we unpack this, I just think this is a great roadmap for all of us to think about the difficult stuff in our lives and how we can go through that. So let's read Psalm 52. And I'll look at my glasses on just in case I go wonky. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts and teach me wisdom in the inmost Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and your sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O Lord, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem, and there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings you delight in, and then God will be offered by your righteousness. So as we walk this psalm, I really want to, I love what how David um, really lays out a bit of a roadmap for us of how we can get free from our past. And I think there are sort of six steps that we can take, but let's just walk through them together. So the first thing that David does is he does something called self-examination. He looks at himself at who he is, and he gives a really honest appraisal of who he is. In verse 3, you'll see it says, um, My sin is always before me. In verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He knows exactly who he is. He understands his sinful nature, nature and knows it and he names it. And I love that David has such an honest relationship with his father. If you read some of his other psalms, you can see there are times he hasn't had the right old go to go. There's wine and a bit of a complaint and things are rubbish. He says it exactly 
love that David doesn't just stop here, but he actually commits the journey with others. He commits the journey with them. In verse 13, he says, I will teach transgression your ways and sinners will return back to you. So that's remarkable. He's not just, oh, I'm okay now, thanks. But actually, he wants to take others with him. He wants them to have the same freedom and relationship that he has. And isn't that true with our own stuff too? Often, if we've been through some really difficult stuff and we've walked through divorce and bereavement, we really understand where someone else is going through it and we want to bring them along on that journey too, don't we? And this is a great step for all of us to take, really, is to commit to journeying with others. Maybe you do that in a small group or in a, in a prayer group or something like that. And just a little plug, really, if you're not in a small group, number five, we would so recommend it so that you can do life and journey with others. Most of our small groups are meet in the evenings um, all around the area. And we basically just meet with six, we have up to 12 people. And it's about sharing your life together, it's about praying for one another, supporting one another, through the ups and the downs of life. It's about teaching and learning and growing together. So if you're not in a small group, we've got a small group board over there by the Welcome Point. I'd encourage you to go along there, pick up a flyer, try a group out this week, but find that place where you can journey with other people. And then finally, that so often in his songs and worship. Verses 14 and 15. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. So it's that natural response when David realizes and accepts all that God has done for him, that response of worship gives thanks and praise and adoration. And of course, that's what we do on Sunday. We always worship, we respond. And also in our small groups too. But what about through the week? Maybe you can upload a few songs on your phone or CD in the car when you're preaching or something like that. It's that response through the week of worship and of listening. But I just love the way that you can see these six steps you can walk through this passage here. Both of them are really difficult stuff to follow. It's easy, but, but it's so worthwhile. But you think at the point that David wrote this psalm, he made it a pretty bad mess, hasn't he, to be honest? He could so easily have just given up. He could have just committed adultery, he'd murdered someone, he was in a mess relationally, he was actually a mess. Morally, as a king, he really hadn't set a great example. And militarily as well, at this point, things really started to go pretty wrong. And emotionally as well, he was really cut up. And a few days later, his son by Bathsheba dies. So he's in a bit of a mess, isn't he, really? Wouldn't it be so easy to say, do you know what, this is so bad, I can't believe I did it. I can't make anything work all right, I am just going to walk away. And easily have given up and let his failures define his failures as well. But he didn't, and that's what he did. He trusted God, he relied on God, and he walked through his past, he walked through those things, and he pursued that relationship with his God. And I just think this psalm is amazing when you think of the point he's got to and what he wrote, and he walks through that self examination, confession into forgiveness, that pursuit of relationship with God, the journeying with others. Each of us may just feel a bit overwhelmed by a past or even a situation that we're going right now. I guess I'll encourage all of us just to take a step today, take a step of faith, maybe share our journey with others. Maybe tell you how you are, how you really feel about that situation. Process it with them. Maybe engage in the emotionally healthy spirituality group that I've mentioned to you earlier. Have a look at it. Or there are other opportunities too within the Disciple Beyond prayer support and counselling. So I guess that question is for all of us today. 
She wants to find the future. She wants a path on which things to come in the future. So we actually want to deal with it and be released into the flow of things that God has for us. That's what happens in Genesis. It's a marvelous story. I believe that Jesus offers all of us a future that's better than the past. And he offers all of us a story that's better. So we want to have an opportunity to respond this morning. We're going to do that in a few ways. The cross is the only way we want to. We're going to have a little worship and answer. And share communion together. So join us in the chat. It's God's story, isn't it? It's, it's hope for us all. And, and just as Daphne was sharing that, I, I just I just said there, there are some here today where there is stuff that you've experienced in the future, in, in the past, that God wants to use you to bring freedom to others in the future. You know, they always say the best person to help, to help an alcoholic is a recovering alcoholic. It's their shared journey. And so some of you here may have a past in, in, in addiction or abuse or, or those kind of things. And I think for some of you, the Lord is stirring vision in your heart that he would use you to help others. And one of the principles you see in the Bible is those that have been restored bring restoration to others. And so if that's stirring in you, you know, share that with the Lord. Share that with someone this morning, would you? And just see what, what Jesus would want to do in that. Um, we're going to share communion this morning. Um, and I'll just introduce that and then, and then we'll share that together. Um, and I just want to make sure that we're all familiar with the story. The, the story is that on the night before Jesus died on the cross, he, he gathered together with his closest friends. And they celebrated Passover together. Now, Passover is a very significant point in the calendar for Jewish people. And for them, it pointed back over a thousand years into their history when their ancestors were not free that their ancestors were slaves in Egypt. And so that's their, that was their present reality. They were not free to move into the things that God had for them, that they were physically bound. That was where they were. And, and they cried out to God, and God rescued them. That's a long story short. God rescued them. And so each year, they would gather as families to remember that story of rescue, and that story of a great exodus, of being taken from a place where they were not free, and released into the freedom and the blessing and the life that God had for them. And so they would remember that story, and so they would gather as families, and there's a point in the meal together where the youngest child would ask the father, hey dad, what went on? I'm paraphrasing it a little. <laughs> and so then the, the dad would tell the story of what had happened in their history. And there are some important symbols in that meal, including bread and wine, that they were symbols in the meal. So Jesus gathers with his friends, and they're celebrating Passover. And what Jesus does is he takes these symbols that they would have been very familiar with growing up in their Jewish families, and then he, he applies them to himself, and he gives them just this richer and deeper meaning. And so I'm just going to read the text that you find in Luke's Gospel. So, so Luke records the story this way. He says that Jesus took bread, this was a key part of their Passover meal, and 
he broke it. He broke it in front of them. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's an amazing thing because Jesus knew what was going to happen to him the next day. I'm not sure the disciples did, but Jesus knew that he knew that his body was going to be broken. And so he takes that bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body that is broken for you. And then what Jesus does, verse 20 says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Now, in Jesus' day, I think it would have been a really high-quality red wine. We're using grape juice here this morning, but think of the color. Think of the color. But this is what Jesus says. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do you see the way that Jesus is using these symbols of bread and wine, which would have been so familiar to the disciples, and saying, there's more. There is more. And he applies it to himself, the way that his body was going to be broken and his blood shed so that they could have the, the fullest experience of Passover, full rescue, full freedom, so that their past would not define their future. Good news. It is true for us in the same way as it was for them. That our future does not have to be defined by our past. Our future, if we come to Jesus, is a future of incredible hope and freedom and life and blessing and promise because of what Jesus has done. And that is what we remember in communion. So the way that we um, are going to celebrate that here this morning is there are a number of tables around the auditorium. Just as you're ready, go to one of those tables, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the grape juice, and take communion that way. And then it's great just to turn around and serve the person behind you. Offer them the plate of bread and the glass of grape juice. If you need gluten-free bread, that is on the table just to the left of the stage here. If you're someone that is following Jesus, you're reaching out to Jesus, you're welcome to share um, communion with us today. And then after communion, um, there is an opportunity for us to pray and to respond. And, you know, there may be things that, as Bethan has shared this morning, that have come to your mind. Maybe there are difficult circumstances, challenges in your past or maybe in your present, and you're here this morning and you say, I do not want those to determine my future. So you are welcome. Come over to the cross, and you may want to go to the cross before or after you share communion, because it is at the cross that we find freedom. And so that might be a good thing for you. It may be that you want someone to pray for you this morning, in which case simply come to this area at the front, around the sides here, and one or two people will come and start, stand alongside you and pray for you this morning. But, but the, the thing that I, that I love about communion, you know, in some churches, some say, this, this is called the Lord's Table. And that reminds us that Jesus is present here. And so you might remember back to some paintings you've seen of Jesus reclining at the table with his disciples. And you picture yourself, and what I want to say to every one of us this morning is that when we say yes to Jesus, we're invited to his table. And he is here. It's a table of healing and freedom. And he invites us. So if you are able, could I invite you to stand? Kate, do you want to come on back? So we're going to take the time to worship and to pray and to share communion together. But
if the Lord has been putting his finger on some stuff this morning, would you bring that to Jesus and take that next step in processing that in his presence? Do, do, do those steps of touch and share. You've self-examined. One of, the, one of the phrases you'll find in the Psalms is, search my heart, O God. Search my heart. And if there's anything in there that shouldn't be, deal with it. That's a paraphrase. Search my heart, O God. So, Lord, I pray that as we stand here in your presence and with one another, that you would search our hearts. And Lord, if there are things that you want to do this morning, would we say yes? We don't want to carry around the rubbish. We don't want our past to determine our future. We want to be fully free to live the life that you are opening up to us. And so, Lord, search our hearts. Lord, we come to you in, in as honest of ways as we can. And Lord, where there is chance, we confess that to you now. We say that we're sorry. Where we've gone our own way. Lord, where we have done things which we should not have done, and we, when we have not done the things we should have done, Lord, we say sorry. Lord, in, in full humility, we say sorry. And Lord, we do so knowing and believing that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we trust you that when we confess our sin, you blot it out, that you forgive us fully, and that you are able to forget. You are able to put it to the farthest horizon. And so, Lord, we trust you to do that. We believe that you can do that. And so, Lord, we press into your presence. We surrender ourselves to you. be more free to live the future that you have for us, and less determined by our past. And so today, Lord, I want to ask, it will be a significant day, it will be a day when we take a step towards our future and away from those things that hold us back. In Jesus' name.